What up, world? Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Blazers. We pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. Coming to you live Sunday, day after the Blazers dropped a tough game three in the Moda Center to the champs, baby. Golden State Warriors, they won 110-99 in game three. This one looked a lot like game two. It's maybe even more demoralizing considering the stakes, considering they were back at home, and considering that yet again the Trailblazers built a big first half lead and yet again the avalanche swallowed them up in the second half they couldn't solve golden state down the stretch they couldn't solve the warriors puzzle crack that code after halftime and now they find themselves in a 3-0 deficit the likes of which no team in nba history has ever climbed out of after game two i read off the stats here that teams that go up 2-0 and uh, the history of the NBA, seven-game series, win 93% of the time. I can do the math now. 100% of the teams to take a 3-0 lead in a seven-game best-of-seven format have gone on to win the series. The Blazers are going to make history, or likely they will be history, to quote the famous sign in Fenway Park back in 2004 for my baseball heads out there. So let's talk about what happened in Game 3. The adjustments the Blazers made, a big one obviously in the starting lineup. What went wrong after halftime? What's going on with Damian Lillard? And whether this truly special Blazers season is going to come to an end Monday night at the Moda Center. Let's start with the starters, though. On Saturday morning... Myers Leonard went to the Blazers practice facility to get some extra shots up. Mind you, Myers Leonard had played zero minutes in game one. He made a cameo in the first half of game two and then got yanked very, very quickly only to get, to get yelled at by Terry Stotts. Terry basically took a timeout to yell at Myers. But then Myers came in back down the stretch and played the entire fourth quarter in game two and uh, looked like a valuable chess piece for Terry Stotts. And so Stotts, when Myers came in to get those shots at the practice facility, he sent him a text message and then later invited him into his office and said, hey, listen, you're going to start game three. Quite a surprise. Terry Stotts uh, has been slow to change his starting lineups just in sort of his history of coaching. Uh, And certainly, I think if most people had guessed what was going to change in the starting lineups, it would have been uh, power forward Alfaruq Aminu, who got his name called. Not Ennis Kanter, who'd, who'd struggled in his own right, but maybe not as uh, spectacularly as Chief has. But it was Myers. And frankly, it worked. The Myers-Leonard trick worked. I, th- I think trick is a little disparaging. I apologize for that. The move worked. The Blazers scored 66 points in the first half. Myers had 13. He was 5 of 7 from the floor in that first half. He had 2 of his four threes. Uh, he, when they trapped Damian Lillard, he was pretty good making decisions as in that short role. Uh, he didn't get a ton of rebounds, but he, he's, he's not a great defensive rebounder. And that just wasn't what he needed to do necessarily. Those were gobbled up by other people. The Myers thing worked. He was good. Uh, he's a really good screen setter. He's probably a better passer than I give him credit for. And certainly most of you listening out there on the internet, 
just just by chances. You might be a big Myers fan listening to this, but just not. I know my man gets hated on on the internet. I know there's a lot of Myers haters out there, but it worked. Uh, Golden State countered. I don't know if countered is the right word. Golden State also made a, a starting lineup change. Uh, Steve Kerr started Damian Jones, who hurt his pectoral muscle in December and made his a weird debut at the end of, I believe it was game one. He came in in a, in a blowout situation, his first uh, action in six months, basically. And then Steve Kerr, as he is wont to do, because my man loves playing center roulette, it is his favorite thing to do is shuffle around centers. If there's anything Steve Kerr desires more, it's tweeting out, and now this video's. But his second favorite thing is to play a weird person at center. His weird choice tonight was was or on Saturday night was Damian Jones, who played three minutes and committed three fouls, and did not get back in the game. Jordan Bell ended up starting the second half. He was pretty good. Andrew Bogut barely played. And Kevon Looney, who is, as I'll say it again, the Warriors' best center, played the most minutes of any Warriors center. Steve, maybe just go with what works. But this isn't a podcast to criticize Steve Kerr's center rotations. I'm sure there are tons of those out there. Seek them out if you need them. This is a Blazers podcast. So we got to stick with the Blazers. I think one of the other things that worked in that Myers-Leonard switcheroo or whatever putting him in the starting lineup was getting Ennis Cantor into the game against backups Uh, I think that's really valuable letting him feast against basically just not having to go against Bogut not having to go not having to play minutes particularly in the first half Cantor played zero minutes while Steph Curry was on the floor I thought that was crucial the Warriors really hunted Cantor in pick and rolls and he he's had some trouble with it but in the first half, Cantor finished with seven points in, five, in six minutes and five boards, two offensive rebounds. He looked good in his brief six-minute shift. And then when Steph Curry checked back in the game, they went back to Myers. They got Ennis Cantor out of there. Uh, just tells you where the Blazers are at in their season is that the center rotation they're choosing between is Ennis Cantor and Myers Leonard in order to guard the best shooter of all time. Quite a curious predicament, but I thought the Myers thing was fine. Particularly in the first half, he was Myers was downright good. Uh, nice to see him be good. He's um, someone who's taken a lot of heat from the fan base. Like I said, there's haters out there. He's been booed on the home floor. He's been, I, I think he's a scapegoat for a lot of what goes wrong. I think Terry gives him about the shortest leash of anyone on the team. If Myers makes a mistake, he's getting yanked and probably getting yelled at. Other guys are not treated that way. Uh it's, you can make the judgment whether you think that's right or wrong. It's certainly the truth. Uh, obviously, his paycheck and I think his um, being a big white dude with pretty boy looks doesn't do him any favors, but that's just the reality. The hand he was dealt. And on Saturday, when he was dealt starting in a Western Conference Finals game, he made the most of it. Personally, I thought it was nice to see. But the Blazers led by 18, with two and a half minutes to go in the first half. Steph Curry had a steal, excuse me, Steph, Seth Curry stole the ball from his brother, Steph Curry. They're brothers, by the way. I don't know if you guys, if you've been paying attention to the ESPN broadcast, uh, you might not have known this, but they are indeed related. But Seth stole the ball from Steph Curry, went the other way in transition, hit a three to put the Blazers up 60 to 42 with two and a half minutes left in the first half. 
Moda Center is rocking. Warriors rip off five straight points, get it back to 13, go in the halftime down by that many. And the reason the Warriors were in were that close at that point wasn't because the Splash Brothers were so good. It wasn't because... I mean, they were fine in the first half, but the reason that the Warriors were still in that game is because Draymond Green was absolutely relentless. He was getting every either defensive rebound or if the, or particularly when the Blazers scored, he was getting the ball out of the net and just pushing it the other way, just pushing it down the, the Blazers' throats in transition, forcing them to make some decisions. You've got to cut him off when he's going full speed to the rim, but you also have to recover to shooters, and they certainly have a bunch of those or at least two really good ones. And Draymond was fantastic in the first half. And then he put together one of the great performances that I've probably ever seen him have during this Warriors five-year run in the third quarter. So that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. Draymond Green leading a hell of a charge and whether the Blazers have an answer for that. As teased earlier, I also touch a little bit on Damian Lillard. Uh, his injury situation, and all that. But before I do that, I want to tell you guys all about Yamble. Take your game day experience to the next level with Yamble. Yamble is the brand new sports prediction app that lets you predict what will happen the next play or the next few minutes of the game. Place your takes on the game and rack up points as the game plays out. Highest scores get paid out real cash every game. You heard me. Real cash every game. Yamble's like HQ Trivia. It's 100% free to download and play, and there's payouts each game. Just search Yamble on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's Y-A-M-B-L-E. They're running games every night during the NBA playoffs, so download now and start yambling. That's Yamble like Gamble with a Y. Check it out. All right, so y'all saw this movie before. The Blazers in Game 2, up 17. What do the Warriors do in the second half? They destroy the lead in a quick burst and take control of the game. Believe it or not, a 13-point lead was not safe against the champs. The Warriors went from down 13, heading heading into halftime, to up 3, heading into the 4th, with just a, a really dominant third quarter and it was all sparked by Draymond Green Draymond only took one field goal attempt in the books he actually took two shots got fouled on the other one but he was the best player on the court and he shot two times in his he basically played the whole quarter he got subbed out during a free throw with like 25 seconds left in the quarter but yeah dude had four points and was absolutely everywhere He had six boards, uh, five of them on the defensive glass, just grab and go every time he got it off the glass, just like he'd been doing in the first half, but even with more force, it felt like in the third quarter he was everywhere. Defensively, he wasn't even in pick and rolls. I felt like the Blazers intentionally tried to not use his man, go away from Draymond to not bring him in pick and rolls because he's such a nuisance. So instead, he was just lurking on the back line. And even if he wasn't the immediate help defender, he was that second weak side guy coming to just blow up plays. Uh, On Sunday at media availability, Damian Lillard talked a little bit about when he's coming off screens, he's peeking to see what's next. You know, he's he's half a step ahead. And what he's seeing half a step ahead is Draymond Green lurking. And that's causing him to to not go to the rim. 
Draymond was fantastic. Six assists in that quarter to set up 13 Warriors points. He's basically just giving guys dunks. Four of his six assists went for a dunks or layups. Another one went to a Steph Curry three. And his, and his other one, the sixth one, Clay Thompson hit a mid-range shot. But he was just setting up easy buckets. His assists alone accounted for 13 points. Warrior, or Blazers scored 13 in the whole period. They were 5 of 18 in the third, 1 of 8 from 3. Draymond Green was the MVP of this game. Multiple people said it. Steve Kerr said it was one of the best performances he's ever seen Draymond had. He compared him to a wrecking ball. I wrote a bunch about this at NBCSports.com slash Northwest. Check it out. Uh, I I just kind of wax poetic for 900-ish words about uh, the Blazers not having an answer for Draymond Green. I think they've made some scheme adjustments to be better against Steph Curry. I think they've made some scheme adjustments to to not give Clay as as many as open looks. You know, Steph still finished with 36, but, you know, he missed 10 threes. Clay only got five threes off. I think that's a win. But I don't know if there's a scheme adjustment for slow down Draymond Green's force. He just plays with such incredible force. And that's really what changed the game. I mentioned that third quarter because it's the second straight third quarter where the Blazers have just wilted in kind of predictable fashion against this Warriors team that tries to win games in these little 10-minute bursts sometimes. It's a bad habit of the Warriors, but they're really good at it. Blazers only scored 33 points in the second half. They had 37 in the second quarter. They had 66 in the first half, 33 after halftime. Blazers shot just shy of 31% from the field, 5 of 20 from deep. They missed seven free throws after halftime. CJ McCollum, who... Two years ago was the best free throw shooter in the NBA. Missed five free throws after halftime. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's stick right there. Damon CJ were not good in this game. I've said it a kajillion times. If you've listened to this podcast, I'm going to say it one more time for y'all. Stars need to be stars. That's how the that's the Blazers' formula for winning. Uh, in the first quarter, Damon Lillard got to the free throw line. Uh, it's a good anecdote for a guy whose shot isn't following. In the second half, CJ McCollum actually got to the free throw line okay. Just missed him. But Dame went 5 for 18. CJ 7 for 20. They combined to go 5 of 19 from 3. Blazers were outscored by 23 points with Dame on the court. Basically, the the Blazers did a ton of their damage when Steph Curry rested at the beginning of the, of the second quarter with both him and Dame off the court. They outscored the Warriors by 11. That was a, a big shift in the game. But the Warriors just punked the Blazers after halftime. Absolutely. And those dudes, I mean, the simple the simple explanation for me is that the Blazers look tired. They've never played this late into the season. Uh, I think, Dame, there was a, a big emotional toll from that first-round series. Going seven against the Denver Nuggets, that's a really tough series that took a lot out of them physically and mentally to come back and win game six and seven. And frankly, their stars, their two best players, and particularly Damian Lillard, look tired. CJ McCollum missing those free throws looks like something that a tired person would do. I think the also the toll of Dame playing down the stretch when CJ missed those games and with Nurk out, um, 
you know, it, it didn't allow him to rest. Not that the Blazers were likely to give him nights off, but it was harder to sort of steal him minutes and try to try to try to give him a light night of work, just because the 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 team needed him to be so good. And you know, maybe he didn't hoist up a million shots in those games, but just the minutes take their toll. And I think we're at a point where the minutes have really taken their toll. And then, so like you saw it on the court, you saw it. Damon and CJ are flummoxed by this defense. Uh, the Blazers don't really just, they just don't have the personnel to make, to, to fix this. Um, Rodney Hood, who was so good against the Nuggets, just hasn't found his rhythm against the Warriors. Zach Collins, who I thought it could be an X factor in this series, hasn't been that good. And Myers Leonard, who was magic in the first half, went one for five after halftime as the Warriors really ratcheted up that defense. But this is about stars. Like, this is about stars gotta be stars. Draymond Green played like a star. Steph Curry played like a star. The the Blazers need, those are the Warriors' two best healthy players. The, the Blazers need their two best healthy players to play like stars if they're going to compete in this series. They haven't really done it yet. In three games against the Warriors this series, Damian Lillard is averaging 20 points, shooting 32.6% from the floor, averaging nearly five turnovers a game to go with his seven assists. CJ McCollum, the Blazers' leading scorer in this series, is averaging 20.7 points per game, shooting 37% from the floor and just 27.3% from three. It's The Blazers haven't got a lot of help from the other guys. You know, Seth Curry's had his moments, but he hasn't really sustained it. We, the Rodney Hood that was so good, like I mentioned, hasn't been there. But the stars, the 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 dudes that they need to be really good, just haven't been really good yet. And part of that might be because of some injury stuff. And late last night, Shamstrani of the Athletic, and then a few other reporters confirmed that Damian Lillard's dealing with a separated rib that he suffered during Game Two. And Dame talks more today about how it's bothering him. So in the third segment, we're going to talk a little bit about what to expect in Game 4, and we're going to talk a lot about Dame Lillard's ribs, the timing of this injury, all those things. So stick with me. But before we get to that segment number three, I want to remind you guys one more time to check out Yamble. Take your game day experience to the next level with Yamble. Yamble is the brand new sports predictions app that lets you predict what will happen the next play or the next few minutes of the game. Place your takes on the game and rack up points as the game plays out. Highest score gets paid out real cash every game. Y'all heard me? Real cash every game. Yamble's like HQ trivia. 100% free to play, 100% free to download, and there's payouts every night. Just search Yamble on the Apple App Store on Google Play. That's Y-A-M-B-L-E. They're running games every night during the NBA playoffs. So download now and start yambling. That's yamble, like gamble with a Y. All right, welcome back. Still locked on Blazer, still Mike Richard. So Shams Trania broke the news. A couple other uh, reporters confirmed it. Damian Lillard is playing with a separated rib. It's the left side. It's non-shooting side. It happened when Kevon Looney fell on top of him in game two. If you were watching that game, you could tell that Dame was... uh, that hurt looked like a hurt. Kevon Looney's a big dude, but you could tell right in that moment that Dame um, was in pain. You could you could tell that uh, it, if he he confirmed today that that's when it happened, but you could tell right then that it, that it it bothered him immediately. 
my first reaction to that injury news is that it is curious timing. Uh, a guy really struggling with his shot in this series against the best team of the last 20 years, maybe longer. You know, it happened right after Dame was at uh, up at the podium. I don't think Shams was in the building last night. I certainly didn't see him. So, you know, he's t- he's talking to someone on the phone to get this information. Um, you know, Dame said he was fine during that uh during his post-game interview, when people asked him about whether he was tired, he said no. He had plenty of opportunities to um, put out there that he's been dealing with a little bit of pain. It's not its not really his M.O. to do something like that, but certainly someone in his camp is the most likely person to have leaked this information. Usually thing gets out for a reason. Uh, my first reaction was that it was strange timing. Draw your own conclusions about what the timing means or why someone would do it. But to me, my first reaction was that it was curious. And for a guy who's so no excuses, it's kind of a built-in excuse without him having to say it. And then at media availability today, he came out and said, it's not affecting my game. Reporters tried to press him multiple times. He said, it's not affecting my shot. It's not affecting my aggressiveness. It's not affecting my game, period. So if it wasn't someone in his camp and it's someone else trying to do him a solid, I'm not sure it does him any favors. Uh, it has a little bit of the uh, LeBron James coming out after the Warriors sweep in the finals, wearing that brace on his hand and say, oh, by the way, I've been playing three games with a broken hand. It's a little bit of that vibe to it. And heading into game four, Damian Lord is not listed on the injury report. Blazers aren't treating this like an injury. So yeah, I thought I thought the I think the reporting is um I'm not questioning the reporting by any means, the veracity of it. Obviously, he confirmed it, blah blah blah. I'm just saying the timing of it late at night um after after a rough performance um was curious to me. But it doesn't matter. The Blazers need him to play well. A lot of dudes playing through injuries. Uh, significantly, Andre Iguodala left midway through the third quarter with a calf issue. Uh, did not return. Uh, Alfonso McKinney played a ton of minutes and was pretty good for the Warriors. Uh, Andre Iguodala listed as questionable for Game 4. Kevin Durant still out. DeMarcus Cousins, in case you guys are you know, waiting for the other All-Stars to come back. Also out for, for the... Uh, for the Warriors, but the only name on the Blazers injury report is Yusuf Nurkic. Damian Lord certainly, you know, confirmed that he's dealing with this issue, but uh, in the same way that Ennis Cantor and his separated shoulder are no longer on the injury report, if you are ready to play and plan to play, you are not on the injury report in Blazerland. So real quick, before we get out of here, what, what can the Blazers do to win uh win game four, extend this series, extend this special season? Well, I would start by not getting up by double digits. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, I, th- I think it's too simple to say maintain a lead. Like, I think that's, a, it's like, yeah, once you get up, don't drop the lead. Like that was, it's not like in the game plan. It says blow 15 point lead. This six minute stretch, we're going to blow a 15 point lead. Uh, I think they've made the tweaks 
to make life harder on Curry and Thompson. Steph Curry was great in the final four minutes to close out the game offensively, getting to the rack, uh, just working the pick and roll instead of sort of leveraging him like they did in game two, he just went and attacked in game three. But I think they've done a better job of making his life a little bit harder, particularly from three point range, the Blazers, the they in that sentence. I think they've, I think the Blazers have guarded Clay Thompson fairly well. Uh, I think the biggest adjustment you can make in game three is a cognizant attention, the sort of, uh, the type of attention you're playing to paying to Steph Curry on the perimeter, you have to pay to Draymond Green in transition. You gotta take him out of those straight line drives to the rim. You can't give up layups. You gotta make Draymond work in the half court. He's eaten the Blazers up in the half court too with just his force and his pace. But you can't give him easy transition points. That's that's gotta be an adjustment. Mo Harkless mentioned it right immediately after the game, and I'm sure the Blazers talks about it today at practice. Keeping him out of transition, knowing that he's going to push. Easier said than done, but it's it's an important thing to at least to pay attention to. Even if they can't slow it down, completely pay attention to. Uh, I think the Myers thing worked. Uh, I guess, you know, Alfred Okamino still hasn't been good and still struck, hasn't been very good except for, you know, one quarter of game one. Or game two, rather. Uh, it's not like he's playing a ton of minutes, so... Um, and I don't think Terry's going to make a second tweak to that starting lineup, but he might surprise us. But, you know, less, less Chief, more Mo at that spot, more Evan at that spot. Roll with Steph Curry a little longer. He's guarded He's guarded his brother really well. Those are the simple adjustments, and I'll, I'll talk about this when the series ends, but the Warriors are really good. And I think there is a sort of a nature of in the internet age when when a team gets to the end of its season, regardless of where they go or if they outperformed expectations or anything, you just got to call them trash. The uh, the Blazers are in the cycle of being called trash. That is the fair world of the uh, of the internet. It's also the unfair world of of the way people think about teams. This is a season the Blazers will be able to enjoy when they look back. They might not enjoy the way they played against this team that's so good, even if they're missing some key parts. But to get where they are with the crew that they have, they'll enjoy this at some point. I'll talk a lot about that when the season ends. I don't know if it's going to end Monday night. I wouldn't be surprised. There is some incentive for the Warriors to go ahead and close this thing out. One, it's always better to play fewer games. Winning is always preferable to losing. But also, if they were to win on Monday night, they would get nine days off before the NBA Finals start. NBA Finals are a set date for television, so regardless of when the series wrap up, they start when they start, they end when they end. So the Warriors, with their bumps and bruises, could get nine full days off to prepare for whoever they're going to play in the Finals if they win. Uh, Steve Kerr said they wouldn't talk about that, but I'm certain they know it. Even if it isn't something they bring up, I'm sh- I'm certain they know it. Blazers' season probably ended when they lost Game 2. It certainly ended when they lost Game 3. Terry Stotts hates the word gentleman's sleep because he says that pl- NBA players take a lot of pride in everything they do and winning every playoff game is hard. I imagine the Blazers come out swinging in Game 3. Should be another entertaining one. It might be a demoralizing end to a special season. 
it might be an extension and a chance to fly back to Oakland. We'll see. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. I appreciate y'all listening. I'll talk to you real soon.